0: been here, we'd love for you to take the opportunity to take the guest card in the pew in front of you, fill out in its entirety, and when you leave, just drop it in one of the offering boxes. We would certainly appreciate that and being able to acknowledge your being with us this day. Would you join me in prayer? And then we're going to continue our time of worship. Father, thank you for the opportunity and the time that you've given us this morning. Through Bible study, through our fellowship time, Father, now in our time of worship, it is a family of faith gathering together. Father, we are excited to be able to see people that we know, that we enjoy being around, and our friends in the community that have come to be a part, and Father, to join this family of faith this morning. And I pray through our time of worship, our our singing will be words from the depths of our hearts lifted up to you as an aroma of praise, because only you should get the honor and the glory and praise. So we expect, anticipate the presence of your spirit among us. And I pray during this service we'll be listening because you'll be waiting for a response from us. True worship, we're going to give it to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Holy,
1: holy, holy Lord God Almighty, would you stand as we sing together? lot of people to pray for this morning. Our plate is full. Lord, we have a lot of sick people that's out, so I pray that you will heal their body. Lord, you are the great physician. Lord, we love you. We lift this service up to you. and Lord, may we go away saying, man, I'm so glad that I came. I say this in Jesus' name. Amen. These are the words of the Lord.
0: Thank you so much. Does everybody here know your age? And it's creeping up on 90 quick. (laughs) He's just a little south of 90. Over the last about three or four years he's had a couple of strokes and God has... Just one. Oh just one. Okay. Uh, Two episodes but one stroke. Okay. Okay. Tell you what, I hope and pray that, uh, that I can sing like that one day. Until then, it gives us an understanding of hope. Hope, because as has been described in that song, there's a lot of things that go on in this world, a lot of difficulties that we face. The congregation like ours. Every day, we don't know what is going to come down the prayer chain, what phone call we're going to get, because this is who we are. I don't care if you're 55 or 50, or whether you're 95. You never know what's going to come down the pike. And so we have to be ready. We have to be encouraged. And as believers, we have to also be people ready to stand up and to minister with compassion. Compassion. My father lost his mother when he was seven years old. They relocated and started uh, uh, homesteading in western New Mexico. He was a bean farmer, my father, my grandfather was. And uh, soon after, probably around age 15, he kind of went off on his own. Um, And then he joined the Calvary. Out of Fort Bliss, that's where he met my uh, my mom. They met at church. Got out of there, and uh, then, not long after that, World War II took place. Well, he was in the Pacific Ocean for about three and a half years. There had been two or three times that he was able to come back to uh, to either California or up in, uh, close to Seattle and Bremerton uh, to see the family. Because by that time, they had a little... Daughter, (laughs) and uh, during that time, he almost had a nervous breakdown. There were a couple of soldiers that helped him, walked him up and down the deck uh, through that long night. But he uh, he, was—I guess, from my understanding—he was never (coughs) the same. He was one that God called to to pastor. And so he spent almost 40 years pastoring and ministering to people. He had kind of this, for us kids, especially me being the youngest, he had this ability to never say he loved you, but you knew that he did. That's just how he was raised. That's how his life was. I remember when I was eight years old, we actually lived here in the Phoenix area. My dad uh, pastored at that time, the first Southern Baptist Church in Peoria, and I had already had one surgery, a reimplantation surgery uh, concerning my bladder. And uh, uh, we went back. I remember two years afterwards to Albuquerque, where the procedure was done. It was the it was the first time that had ever been tried in uh, uh, in the United States, the second time in the world. And when we went back in 1966, I believe it was, um, they found that it wasn't working correctly. And so they said, you're going to, have to, uh, you're going to have to have another surgery. And so my dad had taken me by himself, and uh, I'll never forget, I'll never forget this. He came into my hospital room, and he stood there for a little while, And he looked at me, never shed a tear, but I could see that he was was holding it back. And he explained to me that I was going to have to have a second surgery. And it was the most compassionate conversation that I had ever had with him up to that point. He was a man of compassion with people. He just had a different way of showing it. The first time I heard the words, I love you, I was 22 years old. And I I was leaving to go back to seminary. I'd been to seminary, I think, the first semester in Fort Worth. And I sat there where he was a regional missionary up in northern New Mexico. And I put my arm around him, and I said, Dad, I love you. First time I ever told him. And he looked at me with this astonished look. And then he said, well, son, I love you too. It was almost as if he said, I wonder why you're saying this. Because all through my growing up years, I could tell that he loved me. He just grew up in a time frame. Circumstances, he never brought himself to say that until then. Sometimes we have a hard time expressing ourselves to tell the people that we love, or people that we are connected with, have relationships with how we feel about them. And yet we have that. It is within us. We need to be able to communicate those words, "I love you." We need to be able to have compassion and compassion not only for, For the people that we love and know, but also our friends. But I also would say that we ought to have compassion for everyone, and we ought to be able to show it. And that basically is what we have in our passage today. Do you have compassion like Jesus? The scripture that we have tells us, uh, I think, three very clear and powerful statements that I think we need to take to heart, each one of us. I think we always have to keep it on our mind because the reality is, He wants us to have that same compassion. So let's see what He says. I ask the question first and foremost: Is do you see like Jesus? Well, how does Jesus see? Well, I think that you'll find that Jesus's ministry was threefold. The scripture tells us that He was teaching and he was preaching, and he was healing. Seeing the physical needs of the people is described right here in verse 35, the latter part, when it says, and healing every disease and sickness. On this particular journey that Jesus was on, he went in and preached and taught in the synagogues, talking about the kingdom of God, and at the same time, he was healing people from every kind of disease on this particular journey. You see he saw the needs and then he did something about them. I think that's significant. It's more than just seeing the needs. It's doing something about it that God leads us to do and gives us the skills and the ability. James warns believers in James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? It's one thing to see those needs. It's one thing to say, Oh, look at these needs. Man, I feel for that person. I'm going to pray for that person. And we say, you guys just hang in there. And it's something different to actually do something to try to help them. And that's what Jesus did. And so as Jesus' disciples, he wants us to be engaged and involved in the same things that he was engaged and involved in. Jesus ministered to the physical needs of people. He, He fed the multitudes. He healed the lepers. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He... There's a whole series of things that he did to deal with the physical needs of people. Now, he didn't heal everybody. He didn't raise everybody. But he gives us an understanding that as his disciples, even though we ourselves are not able to accomplish miracles, that's God's work, he wants us to have that same type of compassion where we come beside them and help them and encourage them. He sees the world's needs, the physical needs, and he wants us to do the same thing. And he wants us to share his love for the the multitudes that are out there that are needy. And he wants us to do it by action. You look around the country today, and especially the major cities, and you, you see homeless tent camps everywhere. There are people that are in need. They've, some of them have made choices that uh, weren't good. Others' uh, economy or bad circumstances or health has created that in them. It doesn't matter. We, we have to try to do what we can. It's so critical. Well, Jesus not only sees the physical needs and wants us to see them and do something about them, but also we find that Jesus sees the spiritual needs. So he, he saw the people and he was communicating the gospel to them. He was preaching to them about the kingdom of God. And so he would engage in their physical needs, but he also saw beyond that, that which was spiritual, that is, which is eternal. The first part of verse 35, the scripture says, Jesus went through all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. He laid it forward. That's what he came to do. Their spiritual needs were not being met. In verse 36, the last part, it says that the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were just going whatever direction. The word harassed means that they were in habitual distress. If you relate that to sheep, it's, it's like the people were being fleeced by the religious leaders. They weren't giving them the spiritual truth of the gospel they were getting whatever they could out of them. He also uses the word helpless. He said they, they they were harassed and they were helpless. The idea of helpless means that they were scattered or it means to throw or to cast. It talks about inside there is an inner dejection. They are longing for something spiritual. They are longing To find out what God wants of them. How to be encouraged. And they weren't getting it. Theologian A.T. Robinson said, these words describe their religious condition. Bewildered by those who should have taught them, hindered from entering into the kingdom of God. It was the religious leaders who were doing that. The Greek scholar uh, Nicole states that Helpless describes sheep unable to go a step farther. They're weary. The flock can get into such a condition, he says, when there is no shepherd to care for the sheep or to guide the sheep. And so there was no leader to guide them spiritually. And so the sheep just did whatever they were going to do. Trying to find that that. that spiritual food that they needed so much, and and they were in bad shape. Depressed, discouraged, physically, spiritually, not knowing which way to turn. In contrast of the religious leaders, Jesus saw the physical needs, and he saw the spiritual needs, and then he acted upon them. And that's what he wants us to do. Jesus sees it, and he wants us to look with heavenly eyes, (coughs) with spiritual eyes, not just what's out there and not do anything about it, but he wants us to engage. If people are in need, we need to try to come beside them and discern what is the need that, that we can help with what is the best thing to keep them going spiritually how can I come beside them if they're struggling in some area of their spiritual life how can I come beside them and encourage them and help them that's what Jesus wants us to do so that's the first question I have do you see what Jesus sees physical needs and spiritual needs of people around you in the circles that you are run in the stores that you go into the neighborhood that you live in Do you see them? Secondly, do you feel like Jesus? In verse 36, the first part, the Bible says that when He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. Wow, there's that word compassion. When He saw the crowds, there was something that happened there. Jesus feels compassion. And if we're not feeling compassion, if we say, well, those people just deserve it. Or they've made bad decisions, so you know what? They, they, they don't need anything I have. We'd be going completely against the compassion that Jesus felt. He always had that kind of compassion. The word compassion means pity. It's not a nostalgic emotion that is reserved only for those who are tender-hearted. That, that term compassion, like Christ, has pity for people according to this, uh, this Greek grammar. It is a, this is really interesting. When he saw them, when you look at those words, it means sudden, immediate, full, and overflowing. In other words, he was moved deeply. Because he looks at the crowds that he's teaching and he's preaching to and he's healing. And he sees how desperate they are. Because they're not being fed. Those religious leaders who are supposed to feed them are not doing that. And just the physical needs. So Jesus, he looked upon them with compassion. All this crowd that are following, listening to his teachings. They were spiritually destitute. They were literally worn out. They were like neglected sheep. They were confused. And they were wondering because there was no spiritual leader to guide them. A compassion for the oppressed seeks to alleviate that need. If we have a compassionate heart then we do whatever we can within our power and our giftedness, the abilities that God has given us to try to alleviate that need, to try to help them on the way. Jesus sought to awaken compassion in his disciples and to cause them to meet those needs which were both physically and spiritually neglected. That's what he was trying to get his disciples to understand, to hear, to be engaged, because they were the twelve who were going to be going out. And he wanted to say, this is not just another religious legalism. You see what the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes are doing. That's not who we are. We are people of compassion. workers to reach out to the neglected or few. It was then. It still is. It hasn't changed much. And Jesus calls us to compassion, not condemnation, not judgment for the oppressed. How can we stand beside that? Listen, that that's one of the reasons why our church is engaged in, in partnership missions. As we strive to help uh, the Set Free Ministry, both here in Phoenix and in Needles, which are men that are on the street trying to get them into, uh, into a center to move away from any addiction or just living on the street trying to give them skills as well as discipleship and get them jobs. The same thing for the ladies, the redeemed ministry trying to do the same thing. Some of them have children and they bring them in and they're able to, to help them step by step. That's why we invest in that. That's why they're part of our partners because we want to try to help however we can. Same is true for the Solution Church and their refugee ministry. Refugees coming in from uh, from all over the world, specifically in that ministry from uh, from, uh, Africa, I believe. There's an investment that's needed to try to get these folks to understand the gospel, but also their physical needs of getting them placed. Places and apartments. Help getting jobs. That is so critical we are engaged in numbers of partnership ministries and I appreciate our our missions team with their heart and their vision to say this is what we need to accomplish so we're engaged as a church we can be more engaged and as individuals as we go about we need to do that same type of thing we we need to do all that we can to have that kind of compassion as we walk with people that's the heart of Jesus in fact, we can see that hard in Matthew 23, 37, where Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sit to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. There are going to be some people that will not be willing for our, our help. They've just determined that. But we have to try. Remember a gentleman by the name of Gus, the church, I, the, uh, the the community I came from in Florida. Gus was a homeless guy, and he used to to uh, to uh, sleep on our property from time to time. He had places where he'd stores closed, you know, and we tried to help Gus. In fact, there were numbers of business owners that tried to help Gus to try to get, you know, an apartment to get something. And Gus would always say, "I." chose to do this this is how I want to live and so you do what you can to give food to give drinks to give clothes do what we can to try to help because that's the compassion Jesus had until hopefully one day they would understand unfortunately Gus got sick They took him to the hospital, and Gus didn't make it. It broke my heart. Trying to to minister to him, to communicate the gospel to him. But you see, that's the compassion. It's not just when somebody responds back to us in a positive way. Compassion says, man, I want to walk with you. I'm going to try to help you. Even though you you don't want that help, I'm not going to force it on you, but I'm going to find ways, and I'm always going to be available here. But there are a lot of folks that are more than happy to say, man, I need somebody to come beside me. I need somebody to help me to get back on my feet where I want to be, back engaged in society. Jesus felt compassionate. We need to. The question is, why did he? Why? Well, I think it's because the people were harassed and hindered from entering the kingdom of God. In Matthew 23, 13, these are the folks who were hindering. Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter that are trying to. You would think, religious leaders, my goodness gracious, they, they should be the ones to communicate that, open the door. But you see, they, they didn't have that relationship. They didn't understand what God's plan was. They, they misconstrued what the law was. Still waiting for the Messiah. And they would not embrace Jesus as the Messiah. And so, as the scripture said, you close the door in the faces of those who want Him. You don't need to do that. Compassion tells us that is not what we should do. Here, the people were saddled with the burdens of the Pharisees that uh, had laid upon them the rules and the regulations. They were in a state of mental dejection. They didn't know where to go. Jesus. Jesus put his arm around them. And he had compassion. Matthew 23, 3, Jesus said to his followers, So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Referring to the religious leaders. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they had the talk, they didn't have the walk. But Jesus walked the talk. And he tells his followers to do the same. Don't just talk a good game on Sunday morning. Act all through the course of the week. And this is not just for the young. This is for all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in. So my question is, is religion any better today than it was in Jesus' day? The question is, are we? Are we more compassionate? Are we really working to meet the needs of people? Do we really feel and have compassion like Jesus? That's something that each one of us has to reflect upon in our lives. The last thing I want to ask, (coughs) the last question is, do you say what Jesus says? We see what he saw. We understand what he felt, compassion But do we say what he says? With the same heart. Jesus said three things. First he said, the harvest is abundant. The scripture says in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, look around you. You can find that. You know that. It's all around. I've said this before uh, because (coughs) the stats don't change. But in Sun City West, somewhere between 8.5 and 9 out of every 10 people do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as we understand it in our evangelical (coughs) understanding of salvation. Jesus said in John 4.35, I tell you, open your eyes, look to the fields, they are ripe unto harvest. They're all around us. (coughs) Through some research, we find that there are about 200,000 people every single day die without hope and without God. It's a lot of folks every day. We need to have the kind of missionary vision that Jesus is talking to. And if we're going to have that, it's because we have a close relationship with Jesus. We hear his words. We see the world as he sees it. And I think that's probably a very critical aspect, to see the world as he sees it. You see, the multitudes are before us. And, and some, some of those multitudes we are ready to condemn because they're just not like us. We, 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 we don't see like they see. And so our first inclination is to just close the door on them. <laughs> because they're not, they're not exactly like us. They're different. But that's not what Jesus did. The harvest, if you remember, I'm sure some of you have some of that background, basically has several characteristics A harvest is valuable. A harvest has to be gathered or it will be lost. And it's urgent that we do it. When it's ripe, we've got to get to it. And the Bible says that uh, time is going quickly. Time is going quickly and then the opportunity ends. Jesus said in John 9, 4, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one will work. There's coming a time when it will be done. But we have daylight right now. We have opportunity right now. We have the opportunity to invest and have compassionate care for people. And in the midst of that, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just have to see it. Some of, them, of the folks that we engage with through the course of our, our, our week, whether it be on the golf course or at one of the clubs or in the supermarket, maybe the neighbors that get together, you see them, but do you see them spiritually? Do you see them like Jesus Do you feel that compassion for them about their lostness or their difficult times? So what are you going to do? Jesus calls for harvest. People who are harvesters to engage with the multitudes. Uh, It's not necessarily comfortable. (laughs) It's hard sometimes to engage in spiritual communication because folks don't want to hear it most, most times. But that should not be a barrier We have to get in and build friendships, and we have to build trust. We have to have a relationship with people so that we can communicate, first, understanding their their needs, physically, maybe emotionally. Doing what we can to help and have the ability then to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plant those seeds and pray for them constantly. The workers are few, Jesus said. Not only is there a plentiful harvest, but the workers are few. He said in the latter part of verse 37, that very thing. I read a book years and years ago by Wayne Dahoney. In that book, <laughs> he said that Alexander the Great conquered the world with 35,000 in his army. Genghis Khan conquered it with 200,000. Tamerlane conquered it with 230,000. And the communists took Russia with 40,000. And then he steps back and he asks the question, well, what about us? With those numbers, they were able to conquer the world physically, or their known world. But here we we have a whole army of Christian ministers, Bible study leaders, missionaries, Believers by the millions. And we have not conquered the world spiritually. We're a mighty army if we choose to. But it it takes more than just our routine. It takes more than our coming on Sunday to Bible study and to worship. It takes our looking and seeing people like Jesus does. And it's not as comfortable, but neither neither was Jesus comfortable. In fact, the scripture says he didn't even have a a place to lay his head. But he had a mission. He was going to give us life for the world to be raised up. And in that ministry time frame, he saw the people. And we need to do the same. You've got to be more than a spectator, as do I do. Jesus said in, in Matthew nine thirty-eight, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. <laughs> Jesus is talking about personal involvement. In other words, it's not the, it's not the staff's responsibility. It's, it's not the preacher's responsibility. They are responsible for doing that. But every single believer in Christ, when you give your life to Christ... There are some conditions. You're saying, I am going to do everything I can to live for Jesus for the rest of my life. And part of those, being engaged in discipleship, and part of those is investing in the lives of others, the people around you. And part of that is sharing the gospel of Christ. Prayer is the most critical part. We come in and look at verse 38 when he says, Ask the Lord, that is focused on prayer. Prayer moves the heart to the harvest and moves others to reach out to communicate the gospel of Christ. Moves out to to engage in missions. I'm so looking forward to this Wednesday night when the McElwes share about their 50 years in uh, in missionary service, specifically the 25 years they spent in Israel and Jerusalem. There, There was prayer that went into that to motivate them to go and to spend all of that time. We need to do that right here in Sun City West and in our region and also around the world. And I believe that as we become concerned with compassion about the multitudes who are out there right now, somewhere in the range of 3 billion people in this world who do not have the gospel of Christ presented to them. We need to do that. We need to help with that. There are lots of ways to do it. Through all of our mission giving, you know, we're sending missionaries out, but we need to do our part right here. And it all starts with prayer. You're not going to go far in the realm of evangelism and meeting the needs of people without a strong prayer life. You see, prayer moves God and brings promises of response. That's one of the focuses of our Watchman Prayer Ministry. If you're not involved in that, you need to find out more information on it because that Watchman Prayer team is a team that every single week has an hour that they are praying specifically for revival and spiritual awakening as well as other needs. Dealing with lives turning over to Christ. That's the focus. Prayer opens our vision and, and it also opens the vision of others. Prayer can open our eyes to spiritual resources. I go back to uh, to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Elisha prayed... Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Referring to his servant. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the fields full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked, prayed. The servant couldn't see the spiritual forces that were available. Have you ever been able to see what God sees? All of a sudden, the servant was able to see the mighty army of God in the spiritual battle that takes place. And that's what we're in, is a spiritual battle continually. And so, the vision comes as you walk with the Father and as you pray You begin to build that compassion. You begin to see the spiritual battle. You begin to see people that are in need in so many ways, especially spiritually. Prayer can open the eyes of the person to Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 24, verses 30 and 31, the Scripture says that when He was at the table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Talking about Jesus at the home of the two disciples in Emmaus. All through that time, they didn't see him, but, but when he prayed, it's like the blinders came off, they realized who he was. Spending time with Jesus, with the Lord in prayer. Here in our passage, the prayer is asking for harvesters to come to come into the field to meet the generations of people it's hard and it's something that we need to do there's been great prayer warriors through the course of history that have have led to evangelism that have brought many into the kingdom of God I think about people like David Brainerd Charles Finley Dwight Moody the Wesley brothers George Mueller, George Mueller, he prayed 63 years and eight months for his close friend to come to know Jesus. And he came to know Jesus at George Mueller's funeral. Prayer makes a difference. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen immediately. It may take a long time, but it happens. Prayer is key. And so this morning, this is what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to take on the compassion and it might be a change for you, but the, compassion, the, the commission, uh, compassion of Christ. The world right now is in complete crisis mode. Doesn't matter what country you're looking in. It is, it is beyond my understanding. Ten years ago, I didn't see these kinds of things. But every, you go to every country now, it is, it is confusing. There is so much help needed. There's no direction. <clears throat> this is the time. This is the time that the believers ought to engage because we know. We know what Jesus has done. We just have to have the compassion. And we need to engage. And so this morning what I'm asking you to do is exactly that. I'm asking you to take on the compassion of Christ. I'm asking you to make the adjustments that are necessary to do that. And those adjustments are different for different people. Those adjustments are adjustments that in reality might be just a fine-tuning. That the people that you're around, family members and friends, people your peer group, in your neighborhood, that you begin seeing them a little different. Still engage, have a great time, but start praying for them by name. That God would help you to see what their needs are. And ask God for the compassion that Christ has. And then say, God, help me to engage, personal involvement. And you spend time praying. (coughs) Not just a few minutes in the morning, but but spend time seriously praying to take on the compassion of Christ. And as some of our folks that just have incredible compassion, you keep praying as well. But today, what I'm asking you to do, I want you to see the people like Jesus sees them. And I want you to have your eyes opened to step maybe out of a routine some would call it a rut of how we do life and engage and pray and then let God tell you how to act on that Father, as we go into our invitation I I pray that you would help each one of us where we are to ask you to give us that kind of compassion that moves to action. And when Jesus saw the crowds, it was sudden and immediate. He just was overwhelmed with compassion. God, I pray somewhere we would find that. I know we had it. For some, it's just a rediscovery. invitation see your invitation him. you come as god leads you to come make that decision would you
1: eight for single only sisters those of you ladies who are single are going to come for a day of pampering a facial and satin hands you'll just need to come and check that out but there's a sign up sheet out there and then the final sign up is for the four small group studies we have an insert in your bulletin today describing those or excuse me, those topical studies which will begin on Wednesday the 14th at 4 o'clock. You'll see who the leaders are going to be as well as in the room in which they will be meeting. You can begin signing up for those today. Today is also the last day to sign up for the movie lunch which will be this Thursday. So you'll need to stop by one of the lobbies and check out all the sign-ups if you would. We're going to have our closing prayer led by Melba Stites who is one of our co-team leaders for the Greer's ministry. So would you stand as we pray? Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your love. Father, there are so many people in our church family that are ill today, and they need your healing touch. We ask for that, Father. We love and worship you. Go with us as we leave our house of the Lord today. And be with us so others will see Jesus in our lives. Thank you, Father.
0: Amen. Amen.